because the revolution that we're all a part of is the one made possible through the blood of our Savior and what he gave to us. And uh, there's a lot of people that we can point to who are pointing to Christ, and I hope that we're all able to grow into the kind of people that point to the place where the real revolution is, to God be the glory. So uh, thankful for you joining us here today. Uh, we are continuing on in Deuteronomy, and I think it's a very important topic for us today. It has to do with the disappointment you and I feel when we are told no. When you ask someone for something and they tell you no, how do you handle that? Do you get angry when you're told no? Do you grumble or complain when you're told no? Do you whine? Do you pout? Do you say things like, who do you think you are to tell me no? Or, who died and made you queen? That was one that was funny to me when I was a kid. See, it's not just toddlers who throw temper tantrums when they're told no. Uh, and what about when God tells you no? What about when God tells you no? There are things that God's word prohibits. He says you cannot do this in the scriptures, God's word. Something you want. What if it's your life circumstances? They are just... Your life circumstances, it's a resounding no. You've asked the Lord for this opportunity. It has come and gone, and it is that door isn't just closed. It is slammed shut. How do you handle that? This is our sermon title for the day. When God says... No. Dealing with the disappointment of denied requests. I think none of us live our lives very long before we have to learn how to deal with some kind of disappointment. And sometimes we don't do a very good job handling the disappointments that we have. We can become rebellious, defiant, we get cold, we can become distant when we perceive someone is telling us no. We complain. Sometimes we lash out. Even the most spiritually uh, mature among us struggle to overcome disappointment when God denies the very thing that we have been asking him for over and over again. I don't know how many of you will remember this, but a couple of years ago I talked about building this project of discipleship that I really wanted to do. Um, I talked about building a parsonage on the church property, uh, creating a dedicated hospitality space, a fireside room with an actual fireplace in it. And uh, we have this huge space of the church property that's not being utilized. And uh, I began to think about and dream uh, how my longtime dream that I had, maybe this is the place and the church here is the venue where we could use this blank canvas that's here and we could, we could really make something beautiful uh, that would grow our ambitions of discipleship and being deeper in each other's lives. I wanted to create something winsome, uh, 
magical, medieval, fairy tale, kind of something based on J.R.R. Tolkien's novels, The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings. Something fun that we could build together as a church to draw the community in. I wanted to create a community garden and put in a well, raised beds, build a labyrinth, just create this beautiful space. Uh, a couple small beautiful buildings and a beautiful garden that people could just come and enjoy and delight in fellowship with one another and delight in uh, the things that God causes to grow. So I kind of shared that. I had always had this dream of running a school of discipleship, a space or a context for intimate sharing of lives and building a friendship uh, really to get to know each other better than what we can do typically in a Sunday morning or just our, our lives are so distracted and it's, it, we're drawn thin. And I really wanted to find ways to hit the gas and go for deeper relationships with those who felt all similar calling and were ready for that. So that dream was there. But as I talked about this, I shared this with the church. I don't know how many of you remember that. There were some voices that I hold very highly that, were, um, that had questions yet about this. Both Alicia and Haley, they didn't want to live anywhere near this church property. Uh, they didn't feel safe down here. Uh, Norm and Cindy, whose opinion means a lot to me, were standoffish about it, a little bit hesitant. And then I learned about this whole history of a previous preacher who was a part of this church who made all kinds of plans to build retirement community homes on this church property. We even had blueprints drawn up and were meeting with people. And uh, he made those plans in some way at odds with the eldership of the church at this time. This is history I wasn't here for. I don't really know, but I'm learning about this. And there was church splits that have happened at this congregation. So suddenly, as I'm holding this idea in this dream, I come to the realization that I have a decision to make. Do I really want to push my desires and dreams, uh, try to force this thing to happen or not? And I was constantly asking God about this in prayer. And the idea that came to mind was, don't push my sheep, feed my sheep. That's where my focus needed to be. Not trying to push to get my way, not trying to force this dream to come true, but just encouraging my brothers and sisters, feeding the flock. And so I let it go, not as gracefully as Moses had to let go of his dreams, as we're going to find out today. Moses had two big asks in his life that he thinks he wanted from God, that he's told no about them. God tells him no. So the book of Deuteronomy is teaching me a lot about spiritual maturity and spiritual leadership and growing in humility enough that we can take the answer no from God and handle that answer of no with grace and faith. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a little cough drop, little mini ones that Shauna showed me about. So hopefully you won't hear in my speech too much. 
Let's read this quote. Effective spiritual leadership, at least sometimes, it requires the ability to die to our dreams for the sake of realizing the purposes of God. God has a dream. God's dreams always need to be at the forefront of everything. And even someone who dreams, my dreams, I feel like, is a dream of the Lord that the Lord has put on there. But God's dream, God's ideas, are what need to uh, be at the forefront. And you know what that means for you and I? We don't have to push so hard to try to get things our way. We don't have to push so hard to try to make things happen in our own power and our own strength. Uh, so the first time that Moses is told no by God, it's because he asked for something that was actually beyond his human capacity to receive and experience. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, Then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, Look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind. But my face will not be seen. Moses was incapable of receiving the fullness of the very thing that he was asking for. It would have killed him. But even Moses' little glimpse at the back of God, it's enough to make the guy start glowing so that when he goes back to the Israelites, they're scared. Cover that up, Moses. Why are you glowing like that? You can read about that in chapter 34 of Exodus, verse 30 through 35. So that's the first time Moses is told no. He's given as much as he can handle, but the answer is no to see God's face. The second desire of Moses that God says no to is Moses' dream of entering the promised land and experiencing the blessing and joy and pleasures of his own place to call home. His own place to call home. I would imagine after a lifetime of slavery, and then just wandering around tent camping uh, for 40 years, that a place to call home, a place that belonged to you, a place to put down some roots, a place where you could grow your own produce and do your own canning, and I would guess that that would be a very appealing thing. And I understand something of the appeal of a place to call my home. But the joy of a homecoming was something that Moses was banned from receiving because of his sin. So Moses ends his life as a homeless wanderer 
because God will not let Moses come home. He will not let Moses share in the joy and excitement of receiving a portion of the inheritance in the promised land. Moses' greatest dream is denied him by God himself. Numbers 20 talks about this. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing or rebellion, because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. But Moses, for his part, he didn't trust in God. So once again in this story, Moses or Israel complains, they're ungrateful, and once again God delivers them uh, and gives them grace, proving himself holy. But in some way, Moses loses faith in God, <coughs> or faith that God could use a people as rebellious as the Israelites to accomplish God's plans in the world. There's some ambiguity there. Uh, Read these texts and try to figure out what exactly the Lord is talking about. This sin of not trusting in him uh, to the point that he is banned from receiving his greatest dream. And the Lord was also angry with me because of you. So maybe it did have something to do with with Israel and Moses' role of leadership and intercession there. He said to me, Moses... Not even you will enter the promised land. Instead, your assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, will lead the people into the land, encourage him, for he will lead Israel as they take possession of it. (coughs) So this verse basically tells us, this is God's words, Hey Moses, everything that you had hoped and dreamed for, it's not for you anymore. I'm taking it away from you. Uh, and I'm giving it to your assistant. Your assistant is the one who gets the promotion. Your assistant is the one who gets to have your greatest dream come true. And uh, you're getting the boot from that dream. Now it's your job to go and encourage him. Go finish his, his on-the-job training. And make sure he succeeds. So Deuteronomy reveals something of Moses' character and his humility and his spiritual leadership because he does that exact thing. The guy who gets to have his dream, Moses doesn't sabotage it. He doesn't walk away from his responsibility. He goes and he encourages Joshua. He builds him up as the new leader of Israel who will get to do the thing that he wants to do the most in this world. Well, not being able to enter the promised land, this is a tough pill for Moses to swallow. So Moses, he tries again. He goes and he asks the Lord again. He's very repentant. He's very respectful I'm going to read some of his words. They are just ingratiating, humble, kind, butter-you-up kind of words 
that he is speaking to, speaking to God. At that time, I pleaded with the Lord, and I said, O sovereign Lord, you have only begun to show your greatness and the strength of your hand to me, your servant. Is there any God in heaven or on earth who can perform such great and mighty deeds as you, as you do? Please, please let me cross the Jordan to see the wonderful land on the other side, the beautiful hill country, and the Lebanon mountains. This is the answer he gets. That's enough, exclamation point, he declared. Speak of it no more. <coughs> Instead, commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead the people across the Jordan. <laughs> he will get to do that. <coughs> Excuse me. So not only does God say no, and all of us who are parents understand that there's two kinds of no, because the kids, when you, get a, when you say no to your kids, does that stop everything? So there is no, and then there is no, you will not ask me again about this. That is what Moses is getting from God. He's not only told no, but when he goes back, and in the nicest, most polite way, the kindest way possible, he asks. God says no, and, no, and don't ask again. So let me ask you this, and this is the question I want you to think about. Do you think God know, knew that he was breaking Moses' heart and crushing his dreams when he denies him from entering the promised land? Do you think he knew that this would be a tough thing for Moses? And God doesn't stop there. He even adds fuel to the fire. By telling Moses to climb up to the Pisgah Peak and take a good long look at that beautiful promised land over there, the place you do not get to go. Go have a good long look at it. Let me show you from afar everything you are missing out on. Here's the lesson I'm drawing from this for us. In your life, sometimes you are going to get what you want. Sometimes you won't. Sometimes God will be the reason that you get what you want. And sometimes God will be the reason why you don't get what you want. The bigger question than the blessings that you and I do or do not receive in this life, the bigger question than if my wildest dreams come true or not, or if they're denied or shattered, the bigger question is whether or not I will make it through my life on this earth with faith in God, still believing in Him, still trusting in Him, still honoring Him, 
even if I don't get everything I want, even if my dreams don't come true, even if they do come true. It's a big character question that Deuteronomy is asking us. And here's where it gets interesting to me, is what happens next when when Moses is told no, is how he handles his disappointment at God denying his request. He accepts God's answer to him. He doesn't ask again. He encouraged Joshua, builds him up. He doesn't try to cross the Jordan. He doesn't try to sabotage Joshua in any way. So Moses is actually an excellent example of someone who exits a position of power, a position of leadership, who exits that leadership with grace and exits gracefully enough that it paves the way for those who are going to carry on after him. Uh, And I've even seen stuff like this played out in the church. When an elder or a minister in their position of leadership, when they can bow out and pass things on and let go of their need to control things and let go with grace, and let go in such a way that they're preparing the generations behind them to take over that responsibility and that mantle of leadership, when they're able to let go with grace, it always blesses the Lord's people. It blesses them. It uh, it honors God. It glorifies Him. It makes uh, what comes next come so much easier. The Lord has told me, you will not cross the Jordan River. Then Moses called for Joshua, and as all Israel watched, he said to him, as all of Israel watched, he said to Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land that the Lord swore to your ancestors he would give them. You are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of land. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Do you see why Moses was such an amazing leader? In 2007, a movie came out called The Bucket List. And this movie almost single-handedly brought this new phrase, bucket list, into the vernacular of our culture. Everyone knows what a bucket list is now. Most everyone. A bucket list are the things that you hope for most to get to experience. before you kick the bucket. So at some point, we're all going to kick the bucket. And these are the things that I really would like to have happen before that bucket kicking time comes. 
Moses' bucket list. Enter the promised land. See the face or the glory of God. The top two items on Moses' bucket list are denied by God himself. Moses is an amazing leader, not because he ultimately obeys God and does what he's told to do, but because even with his own personal disappointments, Moses never stops proclaiming the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Moses has his bucket list. God says no. What does Moses do? He turns it into a song. Not a country song. But he takes that and he turns it into praise in some way. So at the end of Deuteronomy, you read these words. This is from Moses' song. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. The God who has crushed his dreams. And God replies in this song, There is no other God but me. I am the one who kills and gives life. I am the one who wounds and heals. No one can rescue. No one can be rescued from my powerful hand. Moses, he never stops proclaiming the goodness, the faithfulness, the justice of God. Even though he takes his unfulfilled bucket list with him to the grave. And as we've, we'll find out, we don't even know where the grave is because God is the one who buries Moses. And as I'm studying this, this is, this is the thing that I thought was so cool that I had never seen this before. Uh, this is not the last time Moses shows up in the Bible. Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. And they were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. See, I've always read this from Peter's perspective. But think about this story from Moses' perspective. The two things at the top of Moses' bucket list, entering the promised land and seeing the face of the glory of God. In the transfiguration, 
Where is Moses standing? He's standing in the promised land. Whose face? Who is he looking at face to face? He gets to see the glory of God face to face. And Paul picks up on this story. And in 2 Corinthians, he writes things that relate to this story. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. A resounding yes. Even though you will face disappointments in your life, even though sometimes your circumstances will seem to be just a resounding no, We serve a God whose power goes beyond the grave. And the bigger part of what he has planned for us is not just what happens in this earthly life, but what is to come. If you get a no from God, don't give up on your faith. His plans of goodness concerning you go beyond the grave. So I would say the lesson for us is that a successful life isn't measured so much in what you or I do or do not get. What dreams we get to have fulfilled and what dreams just lie at the wayside. A successful life for the disciple of Jesus is whether or not your character and faith will grow to the point where you can proclaim the goodness of God from cradle to grave. That in the very end, when you're about to kick the bucket, and you still got items on your bucket list, whether or not you can say these words, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, how glorious is our God, he is the rock, his deeds are perfect, everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong, how just and upright he is. If you're about to exit this world and you can say that with faith and confidence, I don't care what you've had to walk through in your life. I don't care the goodies you got or the stuff you were denied. If you can say that, that's the kind of life that will endure into all eternity through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he makes a way for us to have that hope. That is a successful life. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not back down. We always offer an invitation uh, for the prayers of this church or to put the Lord on in baptism and enter into the story of God's people and the redemptive work that he's doing. Uh, 
we always sing this invitation song, and anyone who wanted to come and talk to me either about uh, prayers that you would like or putting on the Lord in baptism, I'll be up here. And go ahead and stand now while we sing our invitation song together. <clears throat>